Hey there, Livewire listeners. It's Luke with some exciting news. Right now, fall 2019 season passes are on sale. We have some incredible shows lined up for you in fall of 2019. You are going to want to be there. And the way that you can ensure that you will be able to be there is by buying a season pass. We, we think of a Livewire season pass as like a gym membership for your mind. Um, and if you buy a season pass, you'll be guaranteed a seat for every show, even the ones that sell out, which it turns out is a lot of them, actually. Plus, you get a discount on tickets, uh, so it, it, you can't afford not to buy a season pass for fall 2019. Also, if you want to get 15% off your pass, join as a Livewire member. Become a member of our League of Extraordinary Listeners, and you'll get 15% off the general public price for your season pass. So that's that's an even more screaming deal. I was trying to figure out how to conjugate that. A screaming or deal? Anyway, it's a great deal. If you go to livewireradio.org, you can check out the guest lineup. You can figure out how to become a member of Livewire, and you can get your season pass. Again, that's livewireradio.org, and we will see you this fall. Well, hello there, and welcome to Livewire. I'm Luke Burbank. I am your host. I hope you're having a great week. I am so excited for you to hear this episode of the show because it is our 15th anniversary show. It is hard to believe that this show has been around for 15 years, but somehow it has. And we decided uh, if we're going to do this right, we need to have on some guests who have been in one way or another instrumental to the success of our show. We've got Lindy West, an old, dear, personal friend of mine from long before she was the famous writer that she now is. We also have the hilariously funny and delightfully odd Dave Hill. And then we have music from Pink Martini. This week's episode was recorded at Revolution Hall in Portland, Oregon. Let's pick things up there on stage with me and our announcer, Elena Passarello. We asked the audience here at Revolution Hall to fill out these little cards. The question was, what advice would you give your 15-year-old self, since we're now 15? We're going to read those in a minute. First, though, Elena, I wanted to get your response to that same question. What would your advice be to 15-year-old Elena Passarello in Georgia? Yeah, Gwinnett County, Georgia. Okay. Uh, so 15-year-old me, uh, I would say... Your high school French teacher does not know what she's talking about. <laughs> How old were you when you, when you realized that? Uh, pretty recently, once I started taking those online French lessons. Um, and then I realized that she had taught me high school French with a Georgia accent. <laughs> so it was like, Qu'est-ce que tu es cute? <laughs> Un disc de Nirvana set in group for me, Dabla. Il est numero uno it barad. And she was very spacey. And once, well, this is when the Saturday Night Live French teacher skit with Alec Baldwin came out. Uh huh. We told her it was really helping us learn, and she let us watch it for a week straight again and again and again and again and again. So she was really phoning it in, Madame yeah. X. Madame X is, I think, what we should call her. Yes. Now. <laughs> How about you? What is uh... your. I think I would tell 15-year-old Luke Burbank, abstinence-only education does not work. And um, that's going to become very clear to you, 15-year-old Luke, in two years, <laughs> in, in an extremely tangible way. Um, what do you think you would have done with that information? Nothing. Right. <laughs> um, I think I would also say to him, this sounds maybe a little earnest, but I, I don't know. It's our 15th anniversary. It's a moment for reflection. I think I would say to him, dude, you're enough. And by that, I mean, like, as a 15-year-old kid and really for, sadly, much of my teenage and adult life, I had it in my mind that I wanted to try to get famous. And I think that subconsciously, I thought, like, if I do that, mm -hmm. then I will be worth something. People right. will, like, be into me or I don't know. And, and then I spent a lot of time trying to do it. And, like, this is where I got to. Um, which is yeah. wow! Oh, you know That's what? Pretty good. I take that back. 
I wasn't enough before you did that. That just really filled a hole in me. No, I think that I, I wish I could tell that guy that like happiness in life is not about the things that I think I just subconsciously thought it was about. Yeah, well you're to constantly told when you're 15 about the thing that you're going to become. Right. And so it creates this reservoir for, oh, I must not be the thing that I am yet. Like, yeah. I feel like I was awesome at 15, and then I just tried to get better, and by doing that, I progressively made myself worse. <laughs> and I've just now started to figure out at 40-something that, like, you know, 15 was kind of where it was at. I was confident. I wore karate pants to school every day, even though I never did karate. <laughs> I was nice to everybody. I ate what I wanted. Like, it was fine. Like, you know, like, I was enough. <laughs> Uh, could, could you share a couple of the audience responses to that question? What would you tell your 15-year-old self? Sure. Here's a, a long litany of advice from Rebecca. Rebecca says, put that cigarette down. It will ruin your pretty skin. Elvis will die in a few years. You cannot save him. You are beautiful. Don't lose your bold. Your mom is actually awesome. Start jogging but avoid the pavement. <laughs> wow. Great. That's good. That is sage advice. Yeah. To oneself. Uh, here's one from Kip. Kip says the advice that Kip would give to Kip's 15-year-old self, when you see the police lights behind your friend's car, stop mixing melon ball drinks in the front seat. <laughs> I see Kip's parole officer also <laughs> let them out, which is great. All right, let's get our first guest out here. And being that this is our big anniversary show, it only seems fitting that we invite on one of our very favorite friends here at Livewire. Her Hulu show, Shrill, which is based on her amazing book, is shooting its second season here in Portland right now. She's got a new book in the works, too. It's called The Witches Are Coming. Please welcome Lindy West to Livewire. <laughs> So, Lindy, congratulations on Shrill being picked up for another season. Thank you. Thank you. So, you're a newspaper writer. You you write books now. You've written a lot of stuff, but this is your first foray into like writing TV, right? And uh, and also producing this TV show. What is what's been surprising to you about the process, or what were you not expecting? I mean, I feel like I um, had like a really naive idea about what it would be like to work in a writer's room on on a TV show, and that was always my dream. And I and I literally <laughs> in the book shrill, I wrote a part where I was like, "Always been my dream to work in a writer's room." By the way, if anyone reading this who's enjoying this book <laughs> and would like to hire me, um, and like I deliberately was like, maybe someone will read this and be like. Oh, I should put her in my writer's room. Uh, I had, feel like I had this sort of naive, like, idealistic vision of what this job would be like, where it's like you sit in a room and, like, everyone's funny and you, like, riff and eat snacks. And then um, when I got the show and, and I was producing the show and we were had the writer's room and we were doing it, and then I feel like other older, grizzled show business people would come to me and be like, so... Uh, what, how, what do you think now? Is it, is it everything you dreamed? Like, I was going to be like, no, it sucks. It's a job. I hate it. And like, I was like, yeah, <laughs> it is really fun. I do just sit in a room with my friends and eat snacks and make jokes. Like literally that is what it is. Um, I mean like you have to do some of the work. You have to produce scripts at the end of it, but like, it's totally fun. It like lives up to the hype. It's, it shouldn't even be a job. I don't understand why. <laughs> I get, I get to do it. I think that TV writers have to pretend like it's a nightmare. Yeah. So that more people don't try to get the job of being I a TV writer. absolutely agree. I think that's totally true. Uh, on the subject of your TV show, uh, A.D. Bryant is just like a revelation in this. What was the casting process like? And was she like the only person you were considering? She's a little angel, and she's perfect. Um, I mean, first of all, the, like, pool of fat actresses in Hollywood. I don't know if you're familiar with Hollywood. I've heard but of it. The pool is small. Um, 
And that's not to say that there aren't like a lot of great women who could have played this role. But when we start, when we were thinking about like just who has that combination of being really funny and really, really sweet and just irresistibly lovable. And, and also it felt like, you know, a moment for 80, like to have her own show and be a star. And, um, so she was our top choice. And then I think we reached out and they were like, what? And then, <laughs> and then we were like, okay, I guess she's busy. They were like, well, she's on SNL. And we were like, oh, yeah, we know. Okay, never mind. And then, like, a month later, she read some article about how, how we were um, developing the show. And then she called us and was like, can I be considered for the show? Or can I do the show? And we, and so it was like a miracle. You both happened. swiped right. We both swiped right. And it was like the greatest day of my life. And uh, now at this point, you know, she developed the show with us and we created it together and we pitched it together. And there's so much of her in the show that I can't imagine doing it with anyone else. But yeah, she rocks and she's perfect. Yeah. We're talking to Lindy West here on Livewire. There, that's uh, something I've wondered about because your book, Shrill, is about your life and your experiences, but the Hulu show Shrill is sort of based on it to some degree, but like you said, AD was involved in the creation of this character and show. Many other people are. This is not just Lindy West's life story, but people must all assume that it is basically your life story. Yeah, which is humiliating <laughs> because the horrible things happen and she uh, does horrible things and she makes horrible choices and everyone assumes that this is my diary that we have put to screen. Um, and yeah, at this point, it's traveled very far away from my actual life. There's Some stuff is similar, but like, yeah, it's not me. It's not me. That's not my mom. <laughs> Mom, I promise that's not you. Um, yeah, I mean, it just kind of like biopics are bad, you know. And I, like you have to make it into a character and make things happen to the character. It can't just be exactly my life because my actual life is so boring. Uh, we got to take a quick break. This is Livewire from PRI. We are talking to Lindy West. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Livewire is supported in part by Fully. Have you ever noticed how kind of not great you feel after you sit at work all day? Truth of the matter is your chair is probably part of the problem. Most chairs and desks, they restrict movement, which leaves your body kind of achy. Now we'd like to tell you about Fully, designer and collector of standing desks, chairs, and other workspace tools that encourage you to move so you will feel better at the end of your day. Uh, I use a fully TikTok stool when I am recording these messages, and it has really changed my whole kind of physicality. After a long day, and I know it doesn't sound like a real job, maybe because it isn't, but after a long day of recording things at my home studio, sitting on a TikTok stool, I feel great. I don't feel like I've been ossifying for the last eight hours. I feel like I'm ready to go take on my evening. Uh, so I can't recommend fully highly enough. Get your body moving in your workspace like I've done. Go to fully.com slash livewire. That's F-U-L-L-Y dot com slash livewire. Fully. Desks, chairs, and things to keep you moving. Hi, welcome back to Livewire from PRI. I'm Luke Burbank. Elena Passarello is right there. We're at Revolution Hall in Portland. It's our 15th anniversary show. And... We have writer, TV creator, Lindy West on the show. Um, so Shrill is, uh, your Hulu show is set here in Portland. I'm just wondering, and you guys shoot it in Portland, you're uh, working on the second season now. Like when you and A.D. Bryant go around Portland, are you just the queens of Portland right now? Uh, yes, we're the queens of Portland. We make all the laws. Um, <laughs> I know. I don't know. I mean, the thing about making a TV show is that you work 12 hours a day at least every day. So, I mean, I, I had a great time shooting in Portland last year, but I don't feel like I got to, like, you know, chill. Um, although I ate a lot of food that was great. And um, But, yeah, no, but, yes, I am the queen. Yes. I'm going to backtrack on that and say yes. Okay. 
Um, I remember there were a couple times where we were shooting like on location on a random street and I would like look up and there would be like a girl who looks just like me in a window like taking pictures, <laughs> which is very cute and I'm not mad about it. Um, anytime I see someone walking toward me on the sidewalk who looks just like me, I'm like, that is my fan. <laughs> Like, Have you ever been wrong? That's my demo. No. Because <laughs> <laughs> that would be the only bad outcome. If you were like, you probably want a picture, and they were like, uh, why? It's only a matter of time, <laughs> for sure. Um, I don't want to stir up any drama. So, you know, feel free to, you, you, as we talked backstage, I can ask you questions, and you can not answer them. Yeah, ask me whatever you want. I don't care. So John Cameron Mitchell is amazing in Shrill. He plays the editor of this alt-weekly that A.D. Bryant's character Annie works at. You worked at an alt-weekly in Seattle. Uh, the uh, person who was your boss there is Dan Savage, friend of the show. Correct. And uh, John Cameron yeah. Mitchell does an amazing job of playing a very um, difficult boss at an alt-weekly. Now, people, I think, keep asking you and Dan Savage about this, and I feel like you guys keep saying that there's no beef and this isn't really about him or he doesn't take offense to it, but how can it not be? I have, like, met the man. I have met you. How is this not him? Okay, I was, like, very stressed about this um, because I, we're not on bad terms. Like I, it's we're we're cool, and um, he's a friend of the the Lindy West show. Mm -hmm. And is that um, now how you describe your life? Yep. Yes. Nice. Welcome to the Lindy West show. <laughs> uh, and uh, I had been really nervous about it, and I didn't know how to talk to him about it. And I had just been sort of like saying over and over, really aggressively in interviews, that the character is not him. Uh, we premiered the show at South by Southwest in mid-March, and um, I got on the plane to go fly to Austin, and he was uh, in, in the seat in front of me. Oh, wow. So, it was great, because I was like, oh my God, when the show comes out, I'm going to have to talk to Dan, and it's going to be so stressful, and then um, the universe... Uh, Gave him to me, and in inside of a can in the sky, trapped us together in the sky. And so um, we actually had a really sweet chat. And I don't know. He here's the thing. It's a TV show, so the relationship is based on our relationship, like a troubled workplace relationship. Um, but just like Annie, the character is not me. Gabe, the boss, is not Dan. Right. Right. And, you know, John had a lot of say in that character. He rewrote a lot of the dialogue. So you think what you want, Luke Burbank. Okay. <laughs> it's my anniversary party, and I'll think what I want to. Um, what are you hoping the takeaway from, from Shrill is? Like, to somebody who sees it, uh, as far as, like, I know you just want to make an entertaining show, but I'm wondering if you're also, if there's some interesting kind of like moving the culture a little bit on a variety of issues. Like how much of your thought process and the staff of the show is, is dedicated towards trying to do that, trying to kind of present a world in a way that maybe it can be, as opposed to just the strict entertainment and humor value of things? Yeah, I mean, I think um, we absolutely have things to say about bodies and abortion and the way that human beings treat each other. I mean, that's all that stuff is really important to me. And if you read the book, it's like a lot of just me yelling. But in order to do that successfully, you have to think about making an entertaining show first. And so, you know, we were always focused on making sure that we were creating a, we were creating good television and and in order, like, if you want those messages to actually reach people, and you want the show to continue, you have to you have to prioritize that. But I feel really fortunate that we were able to put an abortion in the pilot, and that um, you know we were able to cast a fat woman as the lead in a TV show. Um, the, you know, you can scream in people's face about like be nice to fat people, but a much better way to get them to do that is to introduce them to a fat human being that they can fall in love with and root for, and to humanize that part of people's lives. And it, that's part of why the show works is that we we weren't thinking message, 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 message. We were thinking let's make a beautiful TV show that that expresses our values and what we think is relevant and important in the in the world. 
Well, it came out the way you were hoping. Lindy West, everybody. The show on Hulu is shrill. It's out now. Lindy, we like to get to know our guests here on Livewire on a, a deep level, and I feel like we've been doing that uh, so far, but we think we can even take this to uh, a more profound place with you. And so to that end, uh, I have on stage with me a physical jar. In it, we have the five essential questions of our age. We call this the jar of truth. Here's how it's going to work. We would like you to draw a question out of the jar of truth, uh, and then Elena Passarello will read it, and then we would just love to get your answer, your thoughts. So here we go. Lindy is reaching around like uh, at a church bingo party where you <laughs> want to get the right name out of the raffle. Elena Passarello. Okay, Lindy West, if you are really excited, what happens to your punctuation? <laughs> well... It all disappears except for the exclamation points. I also, mm-hmm. I'm really into um, champagne emoji popping off lately, and also bicep emoji, <laughs> and also clown face emoji. Uh. So I will do some combination. Is there an emotion or a feeling that you think the clown face emoji? <laughs> Like, is it, I'm in a car with way too many people right now, but we'll be getting out one at a time, and there will be more of us than you expected. Like, when do you use the clown emoji? Yeah, is that not a common thing in your, yeah. yeah. All right. Like, daily. That's uh, when I use it. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I just feel like the clown emoji um, expresses who I am in a deep way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's usually, like... Life uh, is uh, is hell, and I a waking nightmare. And here I am in the center of it all, a clown. Yes, I am Pagliacci with a dead stare. And then, but pop off, Queen, <laughs> and flex, flex your muscles. That's really, I mean, like this modern age, Luke. Yeah, that's all we can do. Yeah. I use the uh, sleepy emoji, the one where the Z's are going, but the Z's are too close to its head because yeah. they can't change the shape of the emoji, so I can never find... I'll spend hours... I will fall asleep <laughs> trying to find the emoji that's indicating sleepiness. Oh, my God. Same, except with the, with the knife emoji. Like, when I want to stab someone, and you know how it does the... Um, what, how it does the autofill sometimes? Like, if you type birthday, it brings up a cake. If you type knife or stab, it does not bring up the knife. Like, it doesn't want to, like, enable... <laughs> Murder. Yeah. It doesn't want to be an accessory. <laughs> Lindy West, you've tamed the jar of truth. Thank you so much for being on Livewire. Thank you so much. Livewire is brought to you in part by Alaska Airlines. Now, people may think Alaska Airlines only flies from cold to colder, but with 1,200 daily flights and 118 destinations, Alaska Airlines is a gateway from the West Coast to the world. Learn more at alaskaairlines.com. This is Live Wire Radio from PRI. It is our 15th anniversary this week, and we are talking about milestones. We asked the crowd here at Revolution Hall in Portland uh, what advice they would have for their 15-year-old self, since we're turning 15. Elena Passarello, you've gotten some of those answers passed to the front. Uh, what are you seeing? Here's one from Chris. Chris's advice, put down the Mountain Dew. <laughs> was Mountain Dew big at your high school? Oh, man. Yeah. I lived for Mountain Dew as Did a you, kid. You drank it. Yeah. Oh, wow. constantly. And it, oh, it's only a year ago I realized that Sierra Mist is a major ripoff. 
You think? The dew of the mountain, oh, the mist oh, upon the Sierras. Not it's the like, formula, the, t- the name of the product. The name. Some of these right. listeners here in the audience are just figuring this out for the first time. <laughs> what, else are you, what else are you seeing over there, Elena? Here we have an anonymous piece of advice. Those are usually good. If people don't want their name associated with it. I think it's actually pretty good advice, okay. too. Don't get a job until you have to. <laughs> right? Wow. I mean... Like, everybody's like, what do you want to do? What's your major? What do you want to do? But I didn't have, like, a real job until I was 34 years old. How do you, I mean, but how do you define real job? You mean one that, that was part of a long-term plan, sort of career arc? Right. One, one that I, I guess it's a career. I guess I didn't get a career until I had to. Yeah, definitely don't get a career early. I would have been a ninja. <laughs> like, if 15-year-old Luke was picking. Uh, here's one from Anna. Anna's advice to Anna's 15-year-old self, you're going to make it to 70, so lighten up. (laughs) That's good. Another one? Uh, Here's one from Francis. Francis says, dude, Rush is so not cool. I see Francis has had a real change of heart on the work of Getty Lee. (laughs) I mean, it's not that they're cool, right? Like, that's maybe it's just your paradigm shifts and you realize Rush is something. Sure. But cool is not what they are. It's not that they're bad. They're just, they're not cool. Like, I have an appreciation now for so much music that I had dismissed or didn't think was cool when I was younger. The like work what? of Peter Cetera comes to mind. Oh. And I'm not even talking about with Chicago. <laughs> I'm talking about next time I fall. Oh. Or the, or Power of Love from Karate Kid 2. Oh, I love that. I had that on vinyl. <laughs> I had the Karate Kid 2 soundtrack on vinyl. My cat looks just like Peter Cetera. <laughs> okay, one more. <laughs> one from Donna. Donna says, don't waste your energy being upset about President Nixon and Watergate because you're going to need that outrage in 45 years. <laughs> This is Livewire from PRI. We're talking about milestones this week, and our next guest just celebrated one. Six and a half months of being permanently banned from Twitter for making fun of Donald Trump supporters. Uh, When he's not doing that, he hosts a radio show on WFMU Radio in Jersey City, and you've probably seen him on things like Full Frontal with Samantha Bee and the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Please welcome the wonderful, the hilarious Dave Hill back to Livewire. Dave, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me. Uh, it's so nice to have you here. Um, one of the things I tend to do when we're having a guest on the show is I'll go check their Twitter page just to see what they've been up to lately, what they're interested in. Mm-hmm. And I went to yours today, and it said, this account is blocked. <laughs> yeah. What did you do to I'm get not, blocked? I'm not allowed to tweet anymore. Um, what happened was um, with me, do you know, you know Donald Trump? I've heard of him. Um, He's, uh, well, he, I uh, don't, I don't like him. Uh, thank you. Good night. Yeah. Um, so, uh, what would happen is he would tweet something and I would respond and he didn't ever reply to my stuff, but the, the Trump supporters would and they would say something to me, and then I would... Re- I don't... Th- I can't repeat any of the things. I, w- I would make, you know, like, mother jokes. Right. And I would suggest... Like, say, s- insult me in some way. This is... I don't want to be in this position, I'll just Dave. Sh- show you how it works, and we'll do an NPR public radio safe okay. way. All right, here, I got one for you. Here, I'll give you an insult. Um, you know, you could be supporting your member station, and you choose not to, Dave Hill. And I would start by saying, well, uh, right now I'm supporting your mother. Uh, (laughs) And it would go on from there. And, uh... And I can't, I can't, I can't complete it. Right. But I will say, um... 
I can still access my tweets. Like I can, no, no one in the world can see them, but I can still get them. <laughs> what happened was, well, I, I copied all the tweets and they're in my phone. If anyone wants me to read them to you after the show, meet me in the lobby and, I, and, and I'll do it. But uh, I'm just surprised that it like, I mean, you know, it was, some might say crude what you were doing, but I feel like there's much cruder stuff and more hurtful things and more politically dangerous things that seem to go on on Twitter unchecked. I disagree. Nothing is worse than a mother joke. If you, <laughs> nothing. Um, no, I mean, you know, it's one of those things I'm embarrassed by it, but I'm also proud and like, I blame the system, but I also thank the system. <laughs> But yeah, I can't, I'm not allowed on Twitter. Uh, I lead a tweet-free life, really. Well, that's, so th th that's interesting because a lot of people that get really involved in social media. I just got really involved with your, um, see, it's a reflex. <laughs> yeah. It's a reflex. I can't shut it off. I have nowhere to go with it now. <laughs> Everything you say, I'm instantly trying to turn it into a mother joke yeah. back on you. It's just where my, yeah. It'll be, you have no release. For uh, this. Actually, I do. I just release. Uh, um, <laughs> you have to edit out my whole appearance. Nope. No, 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 no. No, because you have not said anything. You've not actually said anything inappropriate. And if somebody is, a, a, like, if somebody is uh, creating that in their own mind, that's their fault. Um, let me ask you about... I, I watched a video from a few years that you did for Comedy Central where you were on this show called Seven Minutes in Purgatory. Yes. And I, the premise seems to be they would take a comic, put them in a semi-truck, mm -hmm. it was kind of a sealed video stage, and then and put a, a sound-canceling headphones on the performer. Yeah. And then your act would be projected into a theater next door that was full of people. Right. They could see you on video, but you could have no interaction with the crowd. Yeah, you have no idea. A, a, a great comedian, Ian Abramson, came up with this concept. That just seems like it's, that's everything you fear as a comedian, is just performing into the complete void. Yeah, it's, but it's also kind of nice, because, I mean, the, I think the thing about being a comedian is you feel so horribly alone. So when you are actually alone, it's like, yeah, that's kind of what I figured. <laughs> you Your know? external circumstances yeah, finally like, matched. Is, yeah, finally, you know, you don't have to imagine it anymore. <laughs> You're like, yeah, I'm here alone. I'm horribly alone. I was surprised to read that you are from Cleveland, Ohio, because I always get a strongly... The Paris of Northeastern Ohio. It's not I... even the Paris of all of Ohio. No, just the little, <laughs> that little sweet spot in the corner. I have always gotten a strongly Canadian vibe off of you. Do people say that? I get that a lot, and, and with good reason. I'm a uh, one-quarter Canadian. <laughs> yeah, my, I come from Canadian stock. My grandfather was from Clinton, Ontario. So, uh, yeah, I see the world, the world in a way that you never could. <laughs> <laughs> you know who else has been recently seeing the world in a way you never could, Dave Hill? You, your mother? I don't know. Your mother. My mother. <laughs> oh. Um, I, was at, I was in Cleveland twice in the last uh, month or so, and I really enjoyed it. But I oh. feel like Cleveland gets a bad rap. I would tell people I'm going to Cleveland. They'd be like, oh, man. It's a beautiful city full of interesting people. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's uh, yeah, I love it. <laughs> why, why do you think it gets know, a bad rap? Um, jealousy, <laughs> I think, you know, I mean, you know, Chicago, Chicago is just super Cleveland, basically. Yeah. I mean, mega Cleveland, just keep driving, driving east and get to the real deal. When I was in Cleveland, I was in downtown Cleveland. I was walking uh, back from dinner and a teen walked past and said, what's up, Tom Cruise? I could see And I was it. like, I'm a Cleveland Tom Cruise. I'll take it. There is something to that, you know? I mean, I'm sure you do great everywhere, but Cleveland, you so, are Tom Cruise. Yeah. Um, 
I really appreciate I'm you. I'm a young Marlon Brando in Queen. Yes. Nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we all see it. Yeah. Um, we really appreciate you coming out here to be with us because Thanks. I know that, that in order to, to be here, you had to postpone something that was on the schedule for today, which was you were supposed to record the audio version of your forthcoming book. That's right. And I, I said, hey, I got to come to Portland. You just, you just hit pause. I'll be back when I feel like it. Yeah, I'm in the middle of recording the audio. I have a book out in October called Parking the Moose, which is about me getting in touch with my incredible Canadian roots. Yeah, I'm not, not to spoil what the book is basically about that. Um, but yeah, I, and so I'm recording the audio book right now, but uh, this was more important. Thank you. But I mean, do you like the process of, of, of reading your book uh, onto the recording, making the audio book? No, I don't. Um, it's what? not real. No, because you have to sit there and read. I, I like, it's really hard to say words out loud. Um, <laughs> there's snacks, which is cool. But other than that, I honestly don't recommend it. <laughs> I don't know how people do it. I would think you would like it because you're a performer. You do stand-up comedy. You do all kinds of stuff. And you write books. So I would think that would be easy. I would think that for like... I don't know, Susan Orlean or someone who's just a writer, they wouldn't like the process of turning it into a multimedia thing. I would think it'd be right in your wheelhouse. Well, the, the reason I like writing books is because you just write it and be like, here, you deal with it, you know? <laughs> like, but then to have to read it out loud, you're like, what? This is, the whole reason I wrote it is because I, so I wouldn't have to say it. <laughs> and then they make you say it. So you, get, you can't get away from it, really. Uh, in 2007, Variety Magazine named you one of 10 comics to watch. That was 12 years ago. Do you feel like what people happened? have been doing yeah, that? What happened? <laughs> have people been watching you? Here and there. Not as much as I'd like. Enough uh, that I can keep this scam going. But, uh, you know, it's never, it's never what... Uh, I'm here. I'm here in Portland. I'm here on your show. So... Everything is going great. Nice. Dave Hill, everybody. Thank you. All right, Dave Hill, we have learned that, that your, mind, your mind is nimble. It's creative. Uh, let's be honest. It's a, an unpredictable machine, your mind. We're wondering, though, how it does at answering inane questions on a moderately successful public radio show. So let's do that right now with an exercise we call Let's Get Quizzical. Let's get quizzical, quizzical. I want to get quizzical. Let's see if you know your stuff. Yeah. Livewire House Band. I forgot they were there, and it really scared me. Yeah. Uh, as we have already mentioned a bunch on this episode, this is our 15th anniversary show. And like you, comedian Dave Hill, our show, we like to try all kinds of bits and ideas. Uh, some of them have worked over the years. Some of them have been less successful. Are you talking about my career our, or your ours, show? Ours. Oh, okay. Yours has been nothing but hits. Just all gold. Yeah. Ours has been a hit and miss at times. Um, I'm going to list some things that we actually did as a radio show over the 15 years. And also some of these things I'm going to read to you, actually, we just made up. And you have to try to figure out which is which. We're calling this quiz, Did That Really Happen? Okay. <laughs> Question number one. In our first decade, uh, we loved getting creative with the location of certain segments on the show. Uh, which of the following is a real place where we recorded a segment of Livewire? Was it in the Portland Rose Garden, where we had our band play a jazzy version of Every Rose Has Its Thorn, and then interviewed a member of the Portland Thorns soccer team? Was it outside a Portland's popular ice cream shop, Salt and Straw, where we dared everyone in line to suck salt through an actual straw? Or was it uh, in a shower backstage where we put one of our performers, Andrew Harris, and had him check in through the entire show uh, so we could hear what he had just washed on his body and what he would be washing next. Which of those three was a thing we actually did on the show? Can I go with the shower? You can, and you would be absolutely right. 
Though I do, you should, the song, they're all good options. They would all be questionable radio bits, but we went with number three. You're absolutely right, Dave Hill. How about this one? We went through a phase for a while where we really like to get competitive on the show mm -hmm. and involve our guests in that. Which of the following is an actual game that we played? Did we play Project Airport Runway, where we had guests make accessories out of Portland's famous old airport carpeting? And then we had them model it on stage for the live audience. Did we play something called Bottom Chef, where we bought food from a 7-Eleven and then prepared it and had actual Top Chef finalists judge the cooking competition? Or did we have a hot dog eating contest with Congressman Barney Frank and two guys named Frank, which we called Franks with Franks and Frank? Which one of those things actually happened? Oh my gosh. They're all genius, but I have to say Bottom Chef. You are absolutely right. Oh, Bottom Chef. You would also have been absolutely right if you said Franks with Franks and Frank. Really? That was also a thing we did. Oh. And I would tell you, Barney Frank did not seem amused. <laughs> Good. Um, all right, here's an animal-related question from uh, Did We Really Do That? Uh, which of the following animal-centric bits actually occurred on the show? Did we bring a birdsong expert onto the show and then have him try to guess at bird calls that we were playing, but the bird calls were just our announcer, Jason Rouse, doing his best impression of them from memory? <laughs> Did we have an entire show with an emotional support parrot on stage for me, telling me I was doing an amazing job at random <laughs> intervals? Or did we bring a very game zookeeper on and give her a birds and the bees quiz, which was literally about the sex lives of birds and bees? Which one of those animal-related things do we really do? The birds and the bees one? You should have done, if you haven't, whatever ones you haven't done, you should definitely do. These are good. These are Dave Hill approved These are ideas. These all strong. It was actually the bird song expert. Our announcer, That's Jason Rouse. Uh, Jason's impersonations of birds was the only listenable part of that episode. <laughs> they can't all be hits over the course of 15 years. All right, we have a live band yes. here. It's one of the, the best parts, I think, about Livewire. We love them. We incorporate them into the show whenever we can, and we've done it in a variety of ways over the years. Which of these was an actual segment that we did on Livewire uh, that involved our house band? Did we have the Von Trapp family singers backed by our band, cover the Portland band Blitz and Trapper, and then have Blitz and Trapper come out and cover Edelweiss. Uh, or did we, when we had Chuck Palahniuk, the writer of Fight Club on, did we have the house band write a series of songs for an upcoming Broadway production of Fight Club, the musical, that we played for him live? Or was it when we had Carrie Brownstein on, did we have our house band perform as Keeter Slinney, a bizarro version of Slater Kinney that instead of being riot girls, were sleepy boys. <laughs> One of those things actually happened on this show, Dave Hill. I, I, I hope... Could it be, could it be the Von... Would the Von Traps be around? That it was them. Well, everyone said, yeah, you guys helped me cheat, but... Well, here's the thing. Actually, we have had the Von Traps on the show, their descendants, and it was a beautiful moment. But we did not have them at the same time as Blitz and Trapper. The correct answer is Fight Club the Musical. Oh, wow. Which we really did. Chuck Palahniuk was really here. He was really not amused. Did it, now, did that make it into the air, make it to the air? Well, uh, it did make it on the radio. It's yet to go to Broadway, but I think it still has a chance. It featured such musical gems as this, Dave Hill. There's a place that I can't tell you about A place where your dreams come true There's a place where you can hit a man And where a man can hit you Fight Club, punching dudes in the basement Fight Club, make a friend and maybe lose a tooth Fight Club, lose your shirt and your shoes And maybe That's, that was definitely better than the movie Fight Club. 
Dave Hill, really good job on the quiz. Really good Thank job you. coming on the show. Uh, Dave Hill's podcast, Dave Hill's Podcasting Incident, and a Dave Hill History Fluffer are both available right now. His book, Come Parking, Parking the Moose, will be out this fall. Dave Hill, thank you so much for being thank on the show. Thank you very much. All right, we've got to take a quick break. This is Livewire from PRI. We will be right back. Hey, special thanks this episode to Delia Anderson of Portland, Oregon, and David Shaw, also of Portland. Delia and David are part of the Livewire member community, and they generously support us with a donation each month. We are so thankful for that support because without it, we would not be able to keep this whole thing going. So Delia and David, thank you for making Livewire possible this week. Welcome back to Livewire. I'm Luke Burbank. Over there, that's Elena Passarello. We're at Revolution Hall in Portland, and uh, we're talking about milestones this week, and that's something our very special musical guests know all about. Why? Because they are celebrating 25 years as a group. What was originally a... A little orchestra, when it started, has grown into a worldwide sensation, and they have always been so great to Livewire over the years. Please welcome Pink Martini to the show. Well, hello. Welcome to Livewire. This is a very prosaic question, but when I came into the theater today, I could not believe how many equipment cases were marked Pink Martini backstage. And obviously, you have a large band. You guys make an amazing sound. But, like, how many trucks full of stuff does it take for Pink Martini to happen? Well, most of those cases are filled with band members. (laughs) I saw you perform in Bellingham, and it was an incredible show. And, China, I was struck by how great you are at singing in a variety of languages. I don't know if you could ask this a lot, but like, how many languages are you fluent in uh, besides English? I'm not fluent in all the languages I sing. I'm, I'm proficient in French. I'm a little bit proficient in Italian. And all of the other 20 languages, I just learn phonetically and then pretend I'm a little bit tipsy and then I sing <laughs> it like I'm a native speaker. That's my trick. Uh, well, what song are we going to hear? This is uh, the first song we ever wrote. It's a song called Sympathique, or Je ne veux pas travailler. And it, um, you know, uh, Ch- when, when China came uh, for the first time to, to Portland uh, to sing with the band about a year into it, uh, she suggested that we try to write a song or two of our own in order to be taken more seriously as a pop band. Uh, because we were doing sort of, you know, there were a lot of feathers and a lot of uh, glitter and uh, covers of Henry Mancini songs. And so... It was very campy, and, uh, and she really wanted uh, to write a song or two, and she had this melody which sounded French, and there was a piece of music by Poulenc on the piano, Francis Poulenc, the French composer, with the final lyrics, je ne veux pas travailler, je veux fumer, I don't want to work, I want to smoke. And so <laughs> we thought this was sort of a brilliant thesis for a song, and so we wrote a whole song which is an ode to smoking and not working. And when we released it, uh, you know, we'd never really been outside of the city limits of Portland. We, you know, we, we played a bunch of political fundraisers, a lot of weddings, most of which ended in divorce. And, um, and, and uh, so, but when we released our first album, it became a huge hit in France. So we went from Portland, Oregon to France. And then, um, and, and then sort of, uh, that sort of launched everything. Um, the other thing is that... Um, uh, we were nominated for Song of the Year at the French Grammys for the song, and a lot of French people think that it's an old song from the 30s, but it's not. Well, this is Pink Martini on Livewire. Ma chambre à la forme d'une cage Le soleil passe son bras par la fenêtre Les chasseurs à ma porte comme les petits soldats qui veulent me prendre. Je ne 
veux pas travailler, je ne veux pas déjeuner, je veux seulement oublier, et puis je fus. Déjà j'ai connu le parfum de l'amour, un million de roses ne bomberait pas autant. Maintenant une seule fleur dans mes entourages me rend malade Je ne veux pas travailler, je ne veux pas déjeuner Je veux seulement oublier et puis je Martini here on Livewire. All right, that's going to do it for our show this week. Thank you to our guests, Lindy West, Dave Hill, and Pink Martini. Livewire is brought to you in part by Alaska Airlines, fully the Jupiter Hotel, and Lagunitas Brewing. Laura Haddon is our executive producer. Lauren Masterson is our development and marketing director. Tim Harkins is our production director. And Christian Sager is our marketing associate. Our producer and editor is Melanie Sevchenko. Caitlin Kunkel is our writer. Our house band is A. Walker Spring, Sam Tucker, Ethan Fox Tucker, and Jonathan Newsom. Molly Pettit is our technical director. Our house sound is by D. Neil Blake, and our on-air mix is by Corey Schreppel. Thank you so much, as always, to Carlson Audio. Additional funding provided by the Regional Arts and Culture Council and the James F. and Marion L. Miller Foundation. Livewire was created by Robin Tenenbaum and Kate Sokoloff. Our show is made possible by the generous support of our members. This week, we'd like to thank member Ann Wendland of Vancouver, Washington. For more information about our show or how you can get our podcast or our newsletter, head on over to livewireradio.org. I'm Luke Burbank. For Elena Passarello and the whole Livewire crew, thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next week. PRI Public Radio International